Welcome to Nothing to Hide, the Moore and Giles podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Calfee. Moore and Giles is one of America's oldest leather companies. We were founded during the heart of the Great Depression, right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, in 1933. And almost 100 years later, our leadership is still in pursuit of one thing, the world's finest leather. Perhaps we even touched your life. Maybe it was in a hotel lobby or your home. Or perhaps this morning when you went to get a cup of coffee, you found your favorite leather chair in the corner and you settled in. Well, that leather is probably more Giles too. Our goal was simply just to share some stories within this podcast, to take you on a journey, to let you experience what we experience. We'll teach you how leather's made and give you insight into some of the subtle nuances of the material. Did you know it's one of man's oldest materials? We're also going to take you to meet some of our favorite people in the world designers and creative influencers and people that are connected to more giles through one thing leather we hope you join us on the more giles podcast nothing to hide in this episode of the podcast i get to sit down with ceo of american leather bruce bernbach american leather is a dallas-based furniture company that also owns one of the best known furniture companies in north carolina lee industries bruce like his father before him is a furniture guy And we get to talk about the challenges of leading companies, not only across borders, but across other leadership styles. Bruce is pretty open about his failures in the past and his relationship with his dad. In addition to that, we're still in the middle of a COVID crisis, and Bruce talks about what leadership looks like in this time. I hope you enjoy this episode of the More Giles podcast, Nothing to Hide. Hey guys, I'm here today with CEO of American Leather Holdings, Bruce Bernbach. Hey Bruce. How are you today, Daryl? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, where are you at today in the world? Today I'm home. Um, there's a lot going on in the world as far as that goes. So we're in a lot of different places as a company. But yeah, I'm home today with my family, kind of like I'm encouraging everyone else in our business to be and just trying to be safe. And Has that become the new norm for you guys is working remotely? Yeah, it is. You know, we have a lot of people working from home, a lot of people just home, you know, as a manufacturer. You know, there's a lot of things you got to be together for, right? So, um, we are doing a lot of stuff from home. I think we're all working harder than we've ever worked before as we kind of find a new path through this uh, situation. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so you guys are located in Grand Prairie. It, give me in the, kind of an idea of what, what's going on down there in Texas right now. Okay, actually, we're in Dallas County. So okay. we're, we're on the line of Grand Prairie in Dallas, actually. And um, I guess it was a couple of three weeks ago, Dallas decided to shut down, you know, for the month of April. So... You know, we had three core things that we really focused on at the beginning, right? One, and first and foremost, was the health of our employees. Secondly, was their income. And thirdly, is the core strength of the business that we'll be able to survive and get through this. So in, in kind of that, you know, looking at all three of those things equal. So the first thing we did immediately, and this is weeks ago, I mean, you know, we, I think we were the first ones to pull out a high point market even before they announced it. Mm-hmm. And then right at that same time, we stopped people coming into our factory. We stopped travel. We, we started doing all the the, the things that I guess we were supposed to do, right? We uh, have 600 people like in our facility in Dallas. We broke those into three shifts. So we had A's and B's. They came every other day, spread the lunch breaks. We we're really focused on safety first and foremost. And then secondly, you know, we're talking about um, the income of our employees. And so my bigger point was we were trying to stay open as an essential business. And so we started reaching out to the White House and government agencies on how we can just stay open and keep everybody working. We wanted them to make an income. And then when the CARE Act went through, right, that kind of changed the dynamic. Because to be honest with you, a lot of our employees are home making more money now than they would have made had they come to work. 
which wow. is a blessing for them, you know, on one level. Be interesting when we ask them all to come back to work, how that's going to go. That will be a whole other issue altogether. Yeah. So um, that's well, I, kinda, you know, where we're at and what's going on here in, in, in Dallas anyway. And then, then North Carolina came right, you know, owning Lee Industries in a smaller company called Brookline um, right outside of High Point. Then North Carolina decided to shut down, you know, their, their states and counties. And so we basically followed that same uh, procedure throughout the business. Well, in keeping up with you guys through social media, I saw that you guys started making masks and gowns. Tell me about that process. You know, it's funny. We, we started doing that. And like I said, to be an essential business, we want to stay open. If we could make masks and gowns and help people and at the same time, keep our employees working. We thought that was the best of both worlds. So mm-hmm. we delved into this mask and gown things, reached out, uh, to started with the white house, right? Cause where else would we get essential approval, but the white house and we got hooked up with that, uh, the Navarro, Peter Navarro and the FEMA. And we started working through that. And then we had local hospitals start reaching out. You know, look, we have sutters, cutters and sewers. That's right. Hundreds of them. And so how can we help? And we decided to put teams together. And it's funny to see our manufacturing. I kind of laugh internally because it's like we're making furniture right now. They take this as a challenge. How many masks can we make a day? It was a beautiful thing. We're up to, I think, over 10,000 masks right now a day, a day as a, as a furniture manufacturer. And so, and, and I see these graphs that I keep getting you know, from uh, our chief operating officer. Hey, we're up to 10,000, 11,000. You know, we started 5,000 a day. It's just, it's fun to watch. And we're helping people and we have local hospitals here. And honestly, we're, we're inundated with requests, both from, from um, what's the right word, medical facilities that need the help, as well as our customers, consumers. So we're starting to see a true demand and we're getting ready in the next, I think, two weeks to put up the website and kind of make those available to a broader audience of people. We're trying to take first line, care of first line responders first. Long-winded answer, but that's what's going on around that whole project. Dude, that is awesome. So I see a market in October, 2020, me rocking an American leather, um, you know, face covering for the, for the market. Yeah. And I, and I'll, I'll give you a, um, I guess a foreshadow, you know, will there be an October market? Great point. And, and I say that from this perspective, you know, I, I'm sure the high point market authority will want to have the market and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I look at it from the perspective. I continue to think if I was a retailer, Yep. And having the last three months with no cash flow or business being terrible, am I going to want to spend four or $5,000 to come to high point to buy furniture that really I have no cash to buy? So I, you know, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have a market by any stretch, but I think we have to think long and hard about, you know, what's right for our industry and for our business. Great point. And I think it also begs the question of, should we be having just one market a year anyway? <laughs> I know you'll get a lot of support from a lot of people I know. <laughs> yeah, I used to say, you know, we're the only, you know, we're the only industry where we think we have to have these physical buildings, right? Everyone else goes into Vegas, shows their show and shuts down and we're done. For some reason, we have these, you know, 12-month buildings that we have to take care of for the four weeks we're in them. And uh, it's a little crazy. So I don't think anybody would have a problem going to one show. I think, you know, we're all going to learn through this or other ways to present product and take care of each other. So you lead essentially what I'm aware of is four large brands. And could you go through that with me and kind of talk about the differences of each? Sure. So, you know, you had asked me when I got here, what did it look like? You know, so when I got here, we were American leather and uh, we have a great company and a growing company and we have great people. And we were blessed to get a private equity partner along the way that has really supported us. And so we were fortunate enough, you know, unfortunate and fortunate enough, you know, unfortunately, 
Lee Industries, which is an amazing company that unfortunately went through a really terrible, you know, personal tragedy there and uh, let the company become available. So I say terribly sad because you never want to see anything like that happen to anybody. You're terrible. Um, but we were able to, you know, get connected with Lee and, and purchase Lee and, you know, be part of their great culture. And I think we're mutually learning a lot from each other. And it's, it's been a great relationship. Um, and then we were a little bit after that, you know, we do a hospitality business and we didn't have a real good footing there. And so we bought a small hospitality company called Brookline Furniture um, out of Archdale, North Carolina. So right outside of High Point. And then just, you know, I recently, I guess within the past year, a little more, we bought a, uh, an internet, small internet business out of San Francisco called Benchmade Modern. No facilities there, so that's nice. <laughs> we don't have to worry about all the people as that relates to, because you know everyone can work from home, and, and as far as that organization goes. So yeah, those are our four uh, businesses that we currently uh, manage. So tell me about Benchmade in this season. Are they still up and running, and how's that business? Yeah, they're up and running. Uh, the business is off a little bit, but not as much as the rest of the retail world. What's gr- what I love about it, and part of the reason why we bought it is it's it's a leading indicator you know, we can learn a lot, right? It's real-time information. And so, as I've said to our dealers that I've talked about this, we're getting real-time information and learning what works with the customer. So we can be better prepared to bring you that information. So it's not so much to compete. It's a totally different line, but it it gives us real-time. So along that real-time information, uh, we're starting to see business come back a little bit, you know, and you can certainly see the West Coast, he says, is really picking up night a little, I say nicely, that'd be getting carried away it's trying to pick up a little bit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's just nice to see some real time data and I'll be able to, you know, in a couple of weeks, give you a little more information as that goes. You guys sell through Benchmade Modern, but you guys also make for a lot of really well-known retailers, uh, restoration hardware being one of those. Um, how's that business been? And, um, you know, from my understanding, like people are still buying things online, even though the stores are shut down. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we're seeing, you know, that we do business with some of the best retailers. You're really proud, you know, between Resto, Room and Board, Crate and Barrel, Design Within Reach, uh, you know, all the way to, to Macy's and Haverty's. And, you know, we're blessed to touch a lot of people. We're seeing some online, again, it's way off, right? But we're seeing online business, you know, and a lot of those nicely have web presence. So we're seeing a lot of business there. You know, at Lee, a little different. You know, we don't have those big dealers as much, right? More uh, designer business, you know, smaller shops, uh, you know, so they've been working on projects and we see that all coming to fruition. And so a little more robust over on that side, but the feeling is over time, the designers will, it'll slow down a little bit. And when things come back, you know, that'll lift. but it's funny to see the two businesses react differently. And obviously hospitality is just uh, been decimated, you know, shut down and everything's kind of on hold there. Yeah. We were reviewing sales numbers this morning. And I think uh, the good news is it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's one perspective. You know, it's funny because I was looking at something the other day. I'm like, well, next year's numbers this is going to look really good. <laughs> yeah. um, the other the other upside to this is that our expenses are down for things like travel and trade shows and you know uh, customer dinners. So maybe at the end of this, we come out on the you know a little bit better. Yeah, I think every company right now is you know cash is king, right? Because you don't know how long this is going to go, how long there's not going to be an income stream, and so I think you know everyone's hopefully being smart and managing their cash. And- so that brings up one of the big questions I wanted to ask you. You know, you've been a leader for a long time. Um, can you talk about another crisis that you've been through and kind of like what you learned about leadership during that time and how you're applying it to right now? 
Oh, probably. Yeah. My, my last crisis I can share with you was putting SAP in at Row Furniture uh, when I was a president there. And anyone who's put an operating system into a pretty sizable business, I think at that time, we we're about $150 million. It was, uh, it was an experience. And um, look, communicate. You, you asked me what the learning moment is from that. I think communication, uh, calm, calmness, uh, having a vision for where you want to end. You know, I always say, you know, you want to see the end. Don't just start. Where's the end? And so I think expressing that and making sure everyone has a clear vision of where we're going and how we're going to move through this. And uh, you know, we've communicated really clearly based on that experience, right, to our suppliers, to our employees, to our customer base, and just making sure we have robust communication to everybody along the way. Look, at the end of the day, we're all doing the best we can. And I just think it's, it's important to show everyone where we're going and that we're going to get through this. So, yeah. That's my, that was my last disaster. We feel your pain. We're actually implementing a, oh. a new ERP system right now in the yes. midst of all of this. And so we definitely understand that pain. Yeah. I used to describe it as this because my customer like, what do you mean you can't ship me? What do you mean you don't know where it is? So I, I would say, so if I went into your kitchen and rearranged everything in your kitchen and then said, one and said, okay, go get the salt. It's just going to take you a little bit to find the salt. But once you find everything again, it will all come back. So just I say the same thing to you. Be patient. This too shall pass. Oh, I appreciate that guidance. I feel <laughs> like uh, this has been the the long journey for us. Uh, We've been implementing this. And, you know, we, we ship and sell leather. So there's variations to everything. And like you guys, everything is custom. And so uh, we have been in a very traditional business in the past. You know, mm -hmm. I would call us old school. And mm -hmm. so not only has this implementation pushed us into a new space, but sure. this whole crisis and, and working remote and having teams that are dispersed or distributed, um, this, has been, this has been a learning curve for us for sure. Well, we'll come back to whatever the new normal is, but I think there'll be a lot of behaviors that are going to change just based on what we're learning and how we operate in this time. You know, you talked about one market a year, you know, maybe mm -hmm. through these virtual showrooms that we're seeing pop up and different podcasts and visual presentations, mm -hmm. maybe people are going to say, Hey, we don't need to spend all this money rushing to high point. And believe me, I'm not saying we shouldn't have markets. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get the industry off in a tizzy. Uh, but you know, I, th I think it's always good to, to look at whatever you're doing and make sure we're doing it the right way for today. Yeah, I think to that point, like if you're not willing to ask that question, there's something that you're hiding behind, right? It's almost like you're afraid to ask the question because you're afraid that the answer might be something you don't want to hear. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you should always be asking yourself those questions. How do I get better? How do I be more effective? How do I be more efficient? And it's not about us, right? It's about our customers. That's really all it's about. And so through their lens, what can we do to make this experience better? And if it's market, it's market. <laughs> Yeah. Great, great point. Yeah. So speaking of mentors, uh, I've heard that your dad was kind of a, a giant, if you will. Um, are you comfortable talking about that and like what you learned from him? Oh, I am. I'll probably get emotional. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, glad to talk about it. Yeah. Will you break it down for me? Tell me what you learned from someone. No, you know, here's what I'll say. I saw best thing I can say, and I was blessed to have an amazing relationship with my father and anybody who's in a family business know it gets tough. And, you know, you go through a lot of different things. Um, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I was blessed to be able to tell my dad, I didn't know because we had a lot of battles back and forth and, uh, was blessed to get his education candidly. Uh, made me everything I am today. And uh, 
So I was blessed to have that education. He was a giant in the industry. You know, I think he was a leader. I learned a lot from him from that perspective. You know, I heard Bill Parcells say this about, uh, was it Drew Bledsoe maybe? But he, he said, one day he said, you know, somebody said, how's it going with Drew Bledsoe? And he goes, you know what the good news is? This year he knows he doesn't know. Last year, he didn't know he didn't know. Hard for me to work with him, right? But now he knows he doesn't know. So I was blessed to find out I didn't know. You, you always think you know, right? You're this young guy and you got it and that old guy doesn't get it. But really, you know, and I say this for everyone listening, any mentor you have or any time you question that older, wiser person, they have a lot of knowledge that you need to just step back and respect and, and, and somehow fit it into your current knowledge. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, he taught me things about just respecting people and integrity. And, you know, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you say. And, you know, core principles that just have stuck with me and I think made me a better leader because it's about transparency and authentic, you know, authenticity. And you, you can hear the emotion in me. It's just how I roll. Uh, so, you know, to answer your question about my dad, I was blessed to have him. I just was, was reading something, I think, on another podcast or Furniture Today. Caroline Hipple, who also was blessed to work with my dad, talking about of two people in her life. You know, he was one of the people that had an amazing impact. And I, you know, I'll share this with you. You know, we had the, uh, when he passed away, uh, you know, we had a Jewish, you know, so we had a little synagogue and we thought he'll be okay. And about half hour before, you know, we realized this is going to be a bit of an issue. You know, 700 people later, so many from the industry, so many people that he had touched, um, be it from the Maryland basketball program, which he loved, the coaches, the, the, you know, all the, the athletic directors all came and just, he was an amazing human being, wanted to help people. It was about helping everyone else. And I hope I'm able to help people as I go along this, you know, through our industry. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, that's the kind of legacy, right? You want your son talking about you in that manner. Hey, when my dad passed away, people showed up to like pay respects because like he told the truth. He said what he was going to do. He did. He just showed up and, and he taught me stuff like for my own son. Like, man, that's what I want. That is yeah, so uh, And I was blessed, like I say, before he died in the hospital to have this conversation with him and let him know you know, that I now know how much he knew. And that was just to have that is a, a blessing by itself, to be honest with you. Man, that is so good. Oh, yeah. th- thank you for sharing that with me. Man. Sure. Well, you asked to go deep. We went deep. <laughs> Sorry, Real quick. Thing, but we, we went there. <laughs> no, that's good. So you've still got a Maryland um, area code on your personal cell phone. Tell me about growing up in Maryland and the East Coast and then transferring to Texas. Yeah, so grew up in Maryland, you know, the, my father, you know, just his background, right? He was a salesman for Playtex, had a cousin that worked for Row Furniture, told him to come work. He was a salesman. He worked his way up. Um, when he got into management, he had to, he moved to Washington. Mr. Rowe wanted him to be in Washington because it was easier for him to travel, you know, to get different places opposed to Roanoke, Virginia, which is where the headquarters was. So grew up in Maryland, you know, and um, you know, always Row Furniture part of my life. And then you know, we, we talked about kind of my fun thing. We implemented SAP. It was difficult. I always said if my dad had a kind of whole, you know, we were a public company on the New York Stock Exchange and my father happened to be the chairman. Um, but I'm always like, if my dad has to hold my job, I'm, you know, that's not a position I want to put him in. And candidly, SAP was really tough. And not that the company, you know, didn't get through, but it was tough. And I just felt the right thing for me to do. And I resigned and left and, you know, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then I talked to Bob, who's my few friends in the industry. And after we talked, he said, you know, maybe you want to come, I look, American leather operationally is the best in the industry. I always felt that way. 
used to bring all the row engineers down to Dallas to see how they were operating their business because it was the future. And so when I ended up leaving row, not sure what I was going to do. Bob asked me, would I like to come drive the original? And so uh, it was kind of a great opportunity. Came down to Dallas, completely different. You asked me the difference, completely different lifestyle and speed. And, you know, I remember my first few weeks here, I had a couple of contractors working, helping get the house to wherever. And uh, I said to my wife, like, they hang out here. They eat. <laughs> it's just a different culture, right? We're in DC. It's in. We get it done. That's how we do it. You know what I mean? And here it's more family and friendly and slower. And it, it's been a great experience from life, from life, just to see you're in one bubble, you move to another. It's, it's, it's different ways of experiencing life. And I'm so glad I got the opportunity to move down to Dallas and see another way. I've been to the factory down there and you know, you guys do it a different way for sure. Like it's impressive. It's almost like walking into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of furniture manufacturing, right? Like that things are color coded and efficient. Like you can tell it's been led by an engineer for a long time. Right. And what I think is really cool for you guys is that now you see that art side of it really coming in and like behind me, you can see, you know, I saw (laughs) my, my own comfort air chair. Um, and you know, I think about what Spencer and Veronica and, and that team has really done. It feels beautiful and it feels custom and handmade. I, I don't feel like it's cold. I think a lot of people would say like, well, if you're efficient, you're cold. How do you guys walk that line between being very efficient and also being like very warm in, in your product? I think they're totally two different things. I think process is process. Yeah. And that's just to keep everything working smooth and easy for our employees. So they know what to do and we're pretty strict about process. Right. But at the same time, we're incredibly compassionate, caring, great amount of our employees. You know, you've been in our facility, you see we have, we have a wellness center, right? We have a Zumba room, we have a, a relaxation area, computers where they can come up, pool tables. You know, so we, we have a great environment and I think that's the difference where, yeah, we're, we're about business and we're serious about that. But at the same time, we have fun, we care about each other and that's how you carry that warmer culture through a, uh, you know, a very efficient, structured organization. That's what I would say. The area uh, in your business that I enjoyed the most was the R&D room. Um, and you know, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but when I walked through there, I saw a lot of things being tested consistently, you know, like, hey, we're, we're trying to use this new lever or this new mechanization in this recliner for a long period of time to make sure that it lasts for a hospitality customer or somebody that's going to use it for the next 20 years in their home. Um, what's the newest thing that you guys are working on that, that you can talk about openly right now? You know, several iconic products. You know, I, we, we, to your point, we, we've separated product development and innovation because we consider ourselves a very innovative company. And so there's product development and then there's an innovation department. And the innovation department is working on, you know, we own, you know, I don't know, tens and tens of patents, you know, and we have some proprietary products and we're kind of more like an Apple from this perspective. Hmm. Um, We're on the eighth iteration of our sofa bed. So it's not about what's next. It's about how do we make what we have better? Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. we're there in the iPhone 10, right? We're, we're, we're able to make the sofa, the sofa bed sit a little deeper, a little lower, a little more comfortable, right? And we have the air chair, which you said is behind you, right? So I'll just say we're working on a couple of things around that to continue the, the, the life cycle of that product. And we're just now engaging on a couple of things with some inventors that we're talking about to see what that next project will be. And like you say, when you come by there, you see us testing, because we try to even, t- if we take something off the shelf, we'll tend to change it so it has our own story. And so we need to test all the things to make sure they're robust enough. Uh, so we're not just making furniture, right? We're really making a lot of 
mechanical mechanisms and yeah. Yeah. And you guys do it in a way that I think is really clean. Um, it doesn't feel clunky. It doesn't feel, um, overly mechanical. It feels like it's part of a very modern look and it, it feels like it fits into like any really well-designed high-end home. But my question is, is like, where have you guys found the sweet spot for that? Cause I know it's not necessarily for everybody and you guys are successful in that. So what, what's been the secret there? And, and, and so when you say the, the sweet spot for that, what do you, what do you mean? I just want to make sure I answer your question. What is that? Well, for me, like when I look at, when I look at American leather product, branded American leather product, right? It's right. straight lines. It's very modern. It's, yes. it's really well crafted and beautiful, but it's also not like you would say like entry level price point. Right. And so when you've got this clean modern look at not an entry level price point, there's less, I would say there's less available market for you. Um, but you guys have been very successful in that. And I was kind of wondering like how you've done that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there's been a shift in the years where I just think people are living a little more, I don't want to say modern, but a little cleaner. I think people want to feel younger as the, as the population's aging a little bit. So I think our aesthetic is kind of, you know, in vogue a little bit. So I think we've got some lift from that. Um, and to your point earlier, you know, the mechanical products that we do have, we, we, the whole beauty of what we try to do is you hide the mechanical nature of it. So it does fit into those homes. So there's a where someone goes, Oh, I can actually get a recliner and it looks beautiful. Okay. I'll take that. You know what I mean? Or like the chair behind you, very pretty that has unlimited function. Right. Uh, and so it's about just beauty and design coming together. I'd say to create that. The, um, the comfort air obviously has its own story. And I think you guys have done a good job of telling that, um, in, the the other products though I think uh, that are that I've seen recently that I've loved have been the Aaron chair. Yeah. Um, it feels a little bit like old school Herman Miller. It feels a little bit like old school Milo Bothman. Um, mm. But it's like this perfect modern recliner. Talk about the development of some of a product like that a little bit. Well, so like we say, we talk about trying to hide function, right? So we look at all these beautiful chairs, like you say, be it a Milo Bothman chair or wherever it might be, and but they all are chairs, right? So how do we take now and put function into those chairs? And so we call them re, uh, re, reinvented recliners. And the idea is they're kind of recliners, but they don't look anything like. Has the recliner business continued to grow for you guys over the last five years? Yeah, anything with motion and anything mechanical seems to be what the customer wants right now. Okay. Um, doesn't mean we're not, it's never a zero sum game. So when I say that still a lot of upholstery, so, but you're seeing as far as growth and demand yeah. more, anything with motion and function, it seems like that's a big cry. And I can tell you as, as the guy leading the company, I was very resistant to that. I thought, oh, at the higher end, no one wants that. Oh, da, da, da. <laughs> and after our customers pounded and pounded and pounded, we all talked about it and said, okay, yeah, you got to listen to your customer at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So that, you know, but I thought no recliners and those houses, no, no, but it's been a great, part of our business and growing. So in contrast, Lee, I feel like has an, its own look and kind of its own uh, approach to the market. Can you talk about how those two sit and complement each other, American Leather on one side and then Lee on the other? Lee's an amazing company, you know, as a guy who's been in the business forever and having great respect. And my, my dad and I used to go get thrown out of Crate and Barrel in Tyson's Corner all the time. And eventually he got a call from uh, Gordon Siegel saying, hey, don't go to my store anymore. And that was because we admired Lee, candidly. I mean, we, Lee, everything that, you know, the Coley family and Lee and, you know, that they all did there was amazing. And so when that company came up, I was like, that's a great company. And so 
why are they a good complement to us, right? I feel like American leather offers, you know, transitional to modern in a really nice way and function where Lee is really transitional to traditional and kind of covers that other side of the business. And so, you know, for the bigger companies that have needs across that, we can supply both. So it's been a good, good experience from that perspective, just very different, more of a designer, you know, uh, line, yep. you know, more small boutiques. What, what amazes me about Lee is you go into their customer base and, you know, 80% of the stores Lee. And it's like, a, it's like a cult following. It's really, because by the way, they built a cult following, you know, they've cared about their customers. They, we have a thing we do called Lee Loves Local. We, we, you know, we do things for the local community and we're constantly giving back. And I say they and we, and I, I want to respect the family that built it. And that's why I say they, we are we. And so when you hear both those things, I just respect the family so much. It's kind of still theirs to me. And I'm just trying to honestly, as I said, carry on that tradition and continue to make the company as great as it is. Yeah. So when I think about Lee, I do think about interior designers. If I think about Lee, I think about what I would consider, like you said, like almost this uniquely Southern experience that's beautiful to furniture. And, you know, it's a very personal, interpersonal relationship. And people do love them on a very one-to-one level. 100%. Um, But you guys in your efficiency at American Leather in Texas, you know, I would assume have made some influences there as well. Could you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, one of the things that makes American Leather great is its speed and its execution, right? And Mm -hmm. so we are trying to bring that culture to Lee. You know, Lee is a great company and does all, does, you couldn't start a company and do all the things they do with this stitch and this leg and this finish and this thing. So we're trying to bring some, it doesn't mean we need to narrow the assortment or shrink down what we're doing. What it means is we just need to put in processes to allow us to execute faster. And so we do, we are in the process of bringing speed there. We, um, here's what I'll just say. No, we care about the people there and we're trying to do everything we can to make that the best company so we can continue to, to be here for a long time. When I'm in, when I'm in Dallas at the American leather uh, factory, everybody I came in contact with had been there forever. They love what they do. You know, they've got these deep, long relationships with the product. Right. And at the same time, when I go to North Carolina, everybody in there has been there forever. They love what they do. They have deep, meaningful relationships. And it's like, neither one is right or wrong. It's just that they have done things differently over the course of their business life. Yeah. And come back and I hope uh, the next five, six months, and you'll see a lot of what you've seen in American weather at Lee, you know, we've, we've been blessed where we're, <clears throat> we've consolidated plants, you know, <clears throat> we had four buildings, we're down to three. Uh, we haven't let anybody go through that process. It's not that it's about just bringing closer together and being more efficient. You know, we've hired continuous improvement teams there. We have a world-class lean guy that we've hired about a year ago. And so really excited at some of the process, you know, Veronica continues to help, you know, lead over there as well. And so, we feel like we have some great upside and it's not to change the company who they are because they're amazing. It's just, again, to put the process in so we can deliver faster to their customers. If you don't mind, talk a little bit about how the relationship between uh, someone like Veronica in leadership and Russ Towner in leadership kind of works underneath you and and how you guys manage that. That's great. You know, look, I've learned, you know, trying to play everyone to their strength, right? And so Veronica operationally, you know, is a machine, right? Russ is a great marketer, merchandiser, sales guy, and a great leader. So let me say that to you. So I'm trying to combine everyone's strengths there. We've changed our structure a little bit where we were more of a silo organization previously. We're now more of a a matrix organization. So where we have Veronica working across the operations, across the whole business, yet she remains the president of American Leather and is kind of running that business. And Russ, the same thing there, helping us, you know, with sales, marketing, merchandise, at the same time he's being the president there. And 
everybody's kind of, we're, we're set up traditionally from the outside, but internally, you know, we're a team and communicating and we're all respecting what we're best at um, and trying to play to each other's strengths. I, I don't know if I answered your question, but. No, that's good. I mean, I think that's an honest answer to how, you know, you've got two really strong leaders in each organization, yeah. right? Like how do you get yeah. the best out of both of them? Yeah. And I want Russ to respect what V has to say operationally, you know, and let her have that input. And at the same time, what Russ has to say, you know, from a sales marketing perspective and as a leadership perspective, I love Russ as a leader there. He's doing an amazing job. It's awesome. And so we don't leave out Brookline. So can you talk a little bit about that and what that business sure. looks like? A little smaller business. So sometimes it doesn't get the attention. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's um, about 130, 120 employees there. Um, it's all hospitality, right? It's all, you know, where we at American Leather and Lee, we sell, I'm going to say it directionally correct, right? We sell, let's say, three and a half to five star hotels, right? Brookline's two to three to four star hotels. It's a great little company, you know, um, got a great management team, Dave Sawinski. He has been in our industry for a while with Thomasville and the Lazar. And um, he's not, he runs that business for us and uh, another great leader. You know, we're blessed. Honestly, I go deeper than Veronica and Russ and Dave. It's just we have a great team of people. And uh, it's nice to see everyone starting to gel, you know, leaving the ego at the door and really work on what's best for the company. What what have you guys said? Okay, we had this plan, this five year plan, and now we've adjusted it and changed it. And and what what looks different for you guys? I you look. I think a lot remains to be seen how we come out of this. I think we're really more focused on what does the next six to eight months look like, as opposed to I think long term our strategy is right. No matter you know I don't, I don't think we're going to see that big a shift. You might see the acceleration of direct consumer business mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Maybe more things you know online. Um, maybe more shipping direct, you know, even for retailers, you know, so I think some of that will change. I don't think the fundamentals of, look, at the end of the day, I always say it's a real estate game. You know, if you have so much real estate, you have the best chance to get the sale. I think a lot remains to be seen, but our shorter term goal is to be really in tune with our retailers, understand what they need. I don't think it's a ton of product right now. I think it's a lot of ideas and support on how to drive business and come back, you know, over time. And, um, yeah. Look, our plan will be to come back just like we are today, knowing that certain triggers will result in different tax. But strategically, I don't think we're, I don't think we're on a ro- the wrong path at all. You know, right. If anything, we look at our bench made business a little bit more and see how that can affect other things. And that's really all, but no, no significant shift. I don't feel. I agree. Well, I yeah. want to be respectful of your time. Um, we've been on for almost an hour. Tell me a little bit about what, you know, family life looks like for you at home right now, since you've got to work remote all the time. Are you guys navigating this well as a family or how are you doing? You know, at some level, you know, my whole life, I've been, I, I, work is my life. So let me say it to you. So this has been a blessing to be home with my kids. So I have, I have two families. I probably don't know. I'll share this with you. My first wife passed away. So when my kids were seven, five and two. Right. And I was blessed to find someone else to be with me. And I have two younger kids, so I have a little older and younger. And so my 17-year-old and my 15-year-old who's special needs, we're all here with my wife. And then my uh, 28-year-old daughter who lives in Dallas, she came because of the, you know, she didn't want to be in her apartment. So she's here. And, and honestly, it's great. We play cards every night and we're watching movies. And for me, I love, you know, look, what's better than family, right? And sometimes we don't stop and smell the roses if nothing that we all get out of this, it's just to step back and go, wow. You know, I feel blessed that you're asking me how I feel blessed to be able to spend the time with my family and really engage with my son at 17. And you know, it goes by fast. And so 
how, how lucky are we from that perspective? You know, just getting used to, um, used to, uh, working from home is a little different, but I'm loving being with the family. I'm not sure they're loving being with me, <laughs> but you know, we're still playing cards every night. We play hearts and have fun. And, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great experience for me. Who's the card shark in the family, by the way? You know, my son is coming on strong. I'm getting a little annoyed, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. And I'll let you go, Bruce. Yeah. As you've been home for the last several weeks going on months, what has become your favorite space in the house? And is there a piece of your furniture in there that you love? You know, every time, you know, I've set up kind of my office outside. I'm blessed to be in Dallas. It's 70 degrees. Um, and so I kind of stand up outside at a little bar top I have and plug in you know, it's a little plug and plug in. I'm on the phone and walk and Kelly, I spent a lot of time cleaning the pool with whatever that strainer is. And I just walk around on the phone with my earbuds and, you know, uh, so I've, I've been outside. I haven't really found a chair. I've been rocking it. I'd like to say, Oh, my air chair, in my litter, but I, I sit in it to watch TV, but it's been outside standing up really most of the day. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I've been, been hanging out. Well, um, with that, I'm going to let you get back to your vitamin D, knowing that if, you know, leading four companies doesn't work out for you, you can always be the pool guy. So there you go. Right. I always I, I have a future somewhere. I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, I really appreciated you taking the time to talk to me and hear a little about myself and the company. And uh, thanks for including us. Yeah, thank you. And so for all of our uh, listeners out there on the podcast, we're going to include show notes with this. So you'll learn more about Bruce and his bio and all the American Leather Holdings companies. So thank you guys for joining us today. And I'll leave you with this. Be smart, be safe. All right. <laughs>